Well, let's turn together to um, Mark chapter 10. Try to get our minds back in uh, to, the, to the mode of Mark's gospel and what has been going on there. Uh, just, I guess, by way of summary, just as a reminder, this is a gospel about the coming of the Christ, uh, the King of kings, the King of glory, uh, that God in him has broken into human history again to redeem and to restore uh, through his obedience. And so we're going to see uh, a clear picture of that redemption and restoration this morning. Uh, this is the story of blind Bartimaeus, the beggar who Christ heals as he is uh, going into Jericho on his way with his disciples to Jerusalem. So keep in mind that uh, Jesus has now foretold and prophesied about his death and burial and resurrection uh, to his disciples. And in the midst of teaching about that, he has also taught the disciples about the cost of discipleship, uh, that those who would follow Christ, they must follow him to the cross if they will ever follow him to glory. And so uh, we are actually, as we're going to see, we're going to be closing that section of teaching about the Christ of the cross and the disciples of the Christ uh, with this passage. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, just a few verses this morning. Before we read and uh, get into our sermon, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we need you now to do for us what in our sin we are not able to do, and that is to look at, to look, to look at your word uh, and, and to understand and to be helped, uh, to be transformed, to glean truth and grace from it. And we pray now that as we uh, seek to be fed, that you would feed us to the full, that, that, that we would go away from this text this morning having encountered you. Uh, do that for us, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46, we read that, Now they came to Jericho, that's Jesus and his disciples, it says, And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, for he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbani, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And then if you look at Luke 18, don't, you don't have to turn there, but if you look at the account of this story in Luke 18, what you find is, just for your information, at the end there, the man desires to follow Jesus and he uh, receives his sight and follows him on the road with him. And then it says there, and glorified God, which is going to be important for us as we come to the end of this passage. So um, just a couple of things about this passage. This is a bit of a a hotbed passage, or it has been over the years, because a lot of detractors from the authority of Scripture like to use this passage, as we've seen with several others, to prove the uh, 
inerrancy, not the inerrancy, but, but that Scripture is not inerrant, that it is fallible and contains errors. And part of the reason for that is, as we see in so many of these stories that are found in one of the Gospels, when the other Gospels, like Matthew or Luke, when they account the same story, they're often... Uh, differing details that are given. And we, we, we've seen this, so we're not going to belabor this point, but I, I do think it's important for me to try to give you a little bit of the problems that are here in this text and a little bit of an answer for them. Um, first of all, the Bible is never wrong, and, and we have seen time and again that the reason for, for the differing details is often because there are different points to the story. The different men are accounting the same circumstances and the same events as they historically and actually happened, but they have a very different drive in their writing. So the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and the book of Luke, they are written to different audiences with different agendas. They are, uh, they, they are ordered differently, some more chronologically than others, some more theologically than others. And so there's, there's different uh, motors, if you will, driving the car and determining what details they represent in the text. It doesn't mean that any of them are wrong. It just means that we uh, have to try to understand as much as we are able. And uh, we always approach them knowing this, that their accounts always line up perfectly. And that if we fail to understand how they line up perfectly, the problem rests with us, with our inability and with our sin. Now, in this text, the problems are that it says here in Mark that as they came to Jericho and he went, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, there was a great multitude uh, there with them. And then blind Bartimaeus, this son of Timaeus, that the name there is literally the translation son of Timaeus, bar Timaeus, bar being the prefix that means son of. Um, so, so you see that this blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, was sitting at the roadside begging. Well, the, the first problem is that when you turn to the other two accounts of this in Matthew and Luke, it says not that as he was, uh, as he was going out of Jericho, but as he was coming into Jericho. Uh, and so people say, oh, see there, they can't even decide which way he was traveling and what he was doing. Um, let me give you one help there. We don't really have the answer to the question, and it is a legitimate and a good question. But let's be careful to understand that in Jesus' time, uh, the New Testament Jericho was not the same as the Old Testament Jerichos. That for the, for the children of Israel in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, there were actually two Jerichos. There was an ancient Jericho, which was a walled city, but it was not nearly as ornate and as developed as the New Testament Jericho. And they did not reside in the same place. They actually were some distance apart, maybe anywhere from 5 to 15 miles, depending on how you look at history and what maps you consider. And so the, the, the farther... Uh, the, the older of the Jerichos, the, the Old Testament historical Jericho that, uh, that could be being spoken of here in Mark would have been farther to the north, okay, which would have been the walled city. And it's very possible then if, if Jesus and his disciples were traveling south on their way to Jerusalem uh, that when Mark says that he is traveling out of Jericho, that he means out of the older Jericho, and that when the other accounts say that he's traveling into Jericho as he's moving south into Jerusalem, they could mean that he is traveling into the more southern Jericho, which makes complete sense. It's not a total answer to the question, but it just goes to show that there are things, information that we do not have, uh, and there, there are answers whether or not we know exactly what the answer is. An another problem is that when we turn to the other accounts, we see that there are, there are two beggars or two blind men begging on the side of the road, not just Bartimaeus. 
And, and that does cause some concern because Mark gives the most detailed of all of the gospel accounts of this story. He gives us the name of this beggar. He gives us the, the interaction of what this beggar said to Christ and then the reality that Christ addresses the crowd that was with them first before he ever turns and looks to talk and deal with Bartimaeus. And so, you know, the, the question is good and legitimate. What's going on and why are there, uh, why is only one of them spoken of here? Well, I think it's sufficient to say that Mark chose to only speak of the one and he does not necessarily exclude there ever being two. He just doesn't tell us about what Jesus did with the other one. Um, and, and, and I think there are places where uh, sometimes we're not given all of the information because, again, the Bible is not intended to be a history book. Now, in all places where it speaks, it speaks historically. And in all areas where Scripture and history meet, it is completely accurate. But it is not the goal of the Scriptures to give us a history lesson, which means there are going to be details left out. There are going to be things removed. Because the reason the Scripture was given was different. It's to teach us about Jesus, most fundamentally. It's to teach us about how sinners can be reconciled with God. It's to teach us about how we might be brought into a relationship with Him through the person and work of Christ on the cross. And if the other blind man, as far as Peter through Mark maybe is concerned, uh, didn't pertain to that agenda, then it was not necessary to be written. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write the words that they wrote, and we must not try to look under every rock that we can find to find problem with it. Sometimes we just have to take that we're not given all of the details and say, you know what, God knew what he was doing when he gave us the information that he did. So, now, to move on to the actual text, I think this is important. Let's consider first the literary context, and we're going to have to think a little bit since we've been out of Mark for two weeks, because much more significant to the point of this passage for the disciples, for the crowd, for Bartimaeus, and for us as the people of God, than the geography of it or the historical sequence of it or how many people were there, beggars, or whether they were going out of Jericho or into Jericho. Those things make very little difference in the point of the story. But what has incredible significance on the point of the story for us and for them is the literary context and significance of this passage. If you go back to Mark chapter 8, what you'll find is that the, this, is, that this is the second of only two Accounts where Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, heals a blind man or blind men. And the first one is found in Mark chapter 8. Uh, I think you see beginning in verse 22 there. We preached about this passage. Uh, he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. And he begged Jesus to touch him. We, and we talked about that healing there. So we've seen another healing of Christ of a blind man. The reason this is so significant, though, is because if you consider that there are only two in this Gospel and that one comes in Mark chapter 8, and the other here at the very end to close chapter 10, what you find is that they serve as literary bookends of the entire section about discipleship. And, and, and in the section that, that's encompassed by these two literary bookends, it's the section where Jesus all three times in this account, all three times where he prophesies about his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, so so Jesus is dealing with trying to teach the disciples about who he is and what he's come to do. Why does he have to prophesy three times about his death? Because every time he tells them, they still don't get it. Okay, so do you see what's going on here? That encompassed 
encompassed by these two stories about Jesus's miraculous divine ability to open blind eyes, we are helped to see that in the in between the two, what Jesus is really doing is helping to open spiritually blind eyes. Okay, does that make sense? So that on both ends of that literary pericope, if you will, Jesus is in the midst of uh, in the midst of his disciples, telling them why he's come, helping them to understand who he is, showing them something about the nature and the purpose of the Messiah that has come. He is trying to open the blinded eyes of the disciples and of the people that are following him. And in order to help us understand that this is the role and the purpose of Christ and that he has the ability, and only he has the ability to do this, that section is encompassed by, guess what? Two stories that begin it and end it about Jesus being able to do what nobody else in their time could, which was go to the blind people who were reduced to begging because nobody could solve the problem of their sight, and to open their blinded eyes. So Jesus is in the business of opening blinded eyes. In this story, he is dealing with blindness. But I would encourage you with this reality that much as uh, this literary context give us, Jesus is not only going to open Bartimaeus's physical eyes. Jesus is going to open Bartimaeus's spiritual eyes, just as he did his disciples. And that's what he wants to do for us as well. So let's turn directly to the text then. The very beginning, the first thing I want us to consider is how blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus. Let's just look at what the, what happens. It says they came to Jericho uh, as he was going out. His disciples, with him a great multitude, this blind beggar Bartimaeus sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then it tells us that, that many that were there warned him to hush not to bother Jesus with his problems, this beggar. And and he continues to cry out all the more. It says, Son of David, have mercy on me. First, let's consider his condition. Do you know know that being blind in their day was a huge problem? (laughs) They didn't have surgeries. They didn't have glasses. We don't know if he was completely 100% blind or if he was... Uh, simply impaired in his sight to the ability that he was unable to function. But, but regardless, he was blinded, and being blind in their time was an extremely frustrating circumstance. It was an incredibly difficult circumstance because in order to eat, you had to work. In order to have a family, to provide for a family, to sustain a wife and have children, you had to be able to work. And in order to work, you had to be able to see. They didn't have jobs for blind people. They did not have seeing eye dogs. They did not have canes that they could walk around with. I mean, you you understand this, but what I want you to feel a sense of is the frustration and the difficulty of being blind in their day. It was an extremely frustrating circumstance. Beyond that, it was one that would have left him 100% destitute. More than only not having a family and not having children, not having a wife, not having a job, the guy would have had nothing. 
He wouldn't have been able to provide for himself. He would have been totally destitute and he would have been left on the roadside to beg. The same reason that lepers begged. The same reason that the lame begged. How many times have we seen that those who were in desperate need of being healed in this day by Christ, those who reached out and touched, the people that came to him and pleaded with him for grace and for mercy and for healing, they were always beggars. They were always on the side of the road. They were totally destitute, unable to care for themselves. This this ailment, this impair, uh, impairment of his vision, it would have left him completely destitute. But, and, and notice this, it is also one that almost certainly would not have been by his negligence. And it would have been 100% out of his control. Here's the thing. People didn't take risks with things like their vision in that day the, the way that maybe we do now. Because it was too precious to lose. You couldn't get it back. We don't know if he was blind from birth or if he was blind by some accident or some congenital defect. We don't know if he was ever able to see. But we can probably surmise that whatever the case was, and even if it was his fault, it, it was probably not necessarily due to his neglect. It was probably some circumstance of God's providence that was extremely difficult. And in God's providence, it left him totally destitute and with nothing and on the roadside begging. But even more than that, it would have been something that in spite of all of this, he could do absolutely nothing about. He couldn't get up and go change it. He couldn't go to the doctor. He, he, he was helpless, and he was hopelessly blind. He was dead, if you will, to those in his community, to those around him. It was a permanent disabling condition. But second, let's consider how he viewed his condition, because this is really important. Listen, if I was describing for you a condition in my life or in yours, and I want you to think about the times in your life when in God's providence, not because of your sin, not because of your neglect, but in God's providence when unbelievably frustrating circumstances leave you destitute, spiritually, emotionally, physically. When maybe in a different sense, you are in the same boat with Bartimaeus, probably not even to this degree, and you're desperately in need of being healed and of being touched. I want you to think about how you, how you consider how you consider that ailment, how you consider that circumstance, what your perspective is. Well, let's consider what his perspective was. And I don't want to read too much into this, but I, I think we do get a glimpse into his perspective in the way he cries out to Jesus. Look at, look at exactly what he says. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and this is what he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and, and they tell him to hush. He continues to cry out all the more. What do they say? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is a very explicit word here. He's crying out for mercy from God. He, he is asking Jesus to give him something that he doesn't deserve. It does not carry with it the connotation of being angry or being bitter, or even being frustrated, certainly physically and experientially, this would have been a, a, an extremely frustrating thing for him. And I'm certain that he had questions about how, how and why this would have happened. And uh, the, the same way that you or I would have been. But what I want you to see is that he doesn't come to Jesus shaking his fist when he runs into town. He's not yelling at Jesus' obscenities and declaring, how dare you have done this to me? God, I can't fix this. How, how can this possibly be a part of your plan for my life? He doesn't seem to bring, at least with what we're given in the text, a sense of 
of anger and resentment and bitterness. He simply comes graciously, I believe, to Jesus, and he calls out for mercy. And it also means that he doesn't think that Jesus owes him this. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and guys, it'll convict your heart if you just stop for just a moment and try to identify with Bartimaeus. He, he's not arguing with God. He's not giving him 40 reasons why he needs to do this for him. He's just totally okay with being at his mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to feel entitled for, for God to come and reach down and fix his problem. He still asks. He cries out to him all the more when people tell him to hush. So, so finally then, let's consider not only the perspective that the guy has about his condition and how it's reflected in what he says, let's consider how it is that he makes this plea. Well, the first thing that we've seen is I think he does it graciously. He comes and he humbles himself before Christ and he asks for him to be merciful with him. But, but look at this, again, carefully considering what he says. Not only does he come and make his plea graciously, I think he comes and he makes his plea theologically. It's always good if we're going to ask things of God, if we're going to bring petitions to Christ to be theologically accurate and for them to be theologically driven. Look at what he says. He comes to him and he says, Jesus calls him by name. He knows who he is, son of David. This is an Old Testament term, not a New Testament term, that was given to the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Restorer of the broken, the one who would lift burdened spirits and hearts and who would open blinded eyes from the line and lineage of King David, promised all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, coming all the way forward up until the New Testament. And he, he, he comes and he calls him by name and he says, Jesus, I believe that you are that guy. Do you see? He, he doesn't come with an empty request. He says, I am coming and asking you because I believe you to be the one who can change it. I believe you to be the one for whom this task was ordained. That this is your purpose. This is your job. This is who you are and what you've come to do. Son of David, have mercy on me. I am believing in you and trusting in you and hoping in you. And you were given for this purpose. Do, do you see how unbelievable the guy's statement is? Gracious and theological. And then I would say he also makes his plea passionately. We know that. Why? Because the people around him, that he's, a, he, he, he's, a, he's not a part of their society. He's a reject. And, and they look at the reject and they tell him, you need to just, you need to hush. Be quiet. Don't bother this, this teacher. Don't bother Jesus, the Christ. He doesn't have time to deal with people like you. In fact, maybe even his disciples. It just says that there were many. I wonder if his disciples who had finally been taught that Jesus was on the road. Where was Jesus headed? To Jerusalem to die. Certainly Jesus was burdened beyond all burdens with the task that was ahead of him. And he had begun and had completed teaching his disciples about the task that was coming. And I wonder if his disciples said, listen, you don't have any idea where this guy's going. He doesn't have time for you. Man, 
But he's not swayed and he is not slowed and he is not stopped from making his petition known theologically, graciously, and passionately to Jesus. It says, and so he cries out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, as we know from reading the story, in the midst of the burden of weight he was feeling with the cross coming, he has time to stop and call this beggar to himself and to fulfill, at least in part, his purpose in coming, the redemption and the restoration, the opening of blinded eyes. He would not be silenced. He was passionate. And so I would simply ask you this morning, by way of application of this part of the story, have you gotten to a place in your life where you long for Jesus like Bartimaeus did? Where you can say with Paul, like we saw last week, that I am suffering the loss of all things so that I might know him. That, that all of the things I once considered gain, I now count as lost if only I can know him. I think about the call of repentance. From the prophet Joel, where he declares that we put on sackcloth and lament and wail, that we go and consecrate a feast and gather the elders together and cry out to the Lord. Do we long for Jesus like Bartimaeus did? Joel continues and he says, to you, O Lord, I cry. In Luke eighteen seven, he says, shall not God avenge his own elect? Those who cry out to him both day and night, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Do you long for Jesus like Bartimaeus longs for Jesus? Or do we sit around in God's providence that's often difficult in our lives and wonder why me? With questions about why this terrible thing, whatever this terrible thing is, has happened Wondering what the purpose of those things are. Friend, let me tell you this. I do not know all of the reasons why God in his providence brings very difficult circumstances like blindness into our life. I do not know. But I do know that at least in part, often those things come so that we would long for the Savior. If you're not blind, you don't ever long to be touched, that your sight would be restored. Do you see why this closes the context of 8, 9, and 10 in the Gospel of Mark? Because what he wants his disciples to see is that they are blind and that he can fix it, but that their blindness is not for their detriment. It is to press them to the Savior. I mean, are you angry about your position and your circumstance? Are you shaking your fist at God? Do you think Jesus somehow owes you restoration and healing, or are you like Bartimaeus coming theologically and passionately and graciously resting on the mercy of Christ? Guys, I'll tell you, as long as the frustration and anger and confusion and bitterness and resentment continues in your heart, you will never, ever find what you're longing for from Jesus. So Bartimaeus in this setting, I think, calls out to Christ. But then, but then what's even more striking is Jesus calls out to Bartimaeus. And I think that's actually maybe the point of the passage. It seems to be a story where this man, this beggar, longs for Christ. And there is certainly an aspect of that. I've spent 
15 minutes talking simply about how much he longed for Christ and encouraging you, as the Scripture encourages you, to cry out to Jesus, to long for Christ, to desire nothing but him. But much more important than whether or not you desire Christ, this passage is teaching us that Christ desires us. It's not about our calling to him. It's about his calling to us. He continues to call. And it says, Jesus stops, he stands still, and he commands the man to be called to him. And, and then, are there, any, are there any better words in the scripture? Look. So when they called to the blind man, listen to what they said. Take heart, for Jesus is calling you. Praise God. Be of good cheer, for he wants you. And he is calling you. I want you to hear that truth this morning. I want you to be gripped by the weight of that truth this morning. That you can take heart in your circumstance wherever you are. You can take heart and be of good cheer in your life and in your family. Because he is calling for you. That in the midst of a passage that seems to be about one's calling for Jesus, we are given a picture of a Savior that is calling to him. Notice carefully a few things that help us to get this about Bartimaeus' situation. He was totally dependent upon Jesus to reach him. That as much as we want to say about Bartimaeus calling Christ, about him longing and crying out to him, if Jesus did not come to Bartimaeus, if Jesus did not find Bartimaeus, if Jesus did not call for him, he would not have come. Because he couldn't have. Why? Well, he couldn't approach him because of his sight. What was he going to do? Get up and go find him? No. He couldn't approach him because of the crowd. Not only would he not navigate the crowd, it would have been a crowd such that it would have been like an entourage, a posse, traveling with Jesus. He wasn't just going to break in the midst of those people. They weren't going to allow it. But maybe above all these things, he couldn't approach him because he was a rabbi, a teacher, a priest. He was seen as one having authority. And it's given to us in the language that he uses. He calls him rabbani. If you go to um, verse 51... The blind man said to him, Rabbani, that I might receive my sight. He was, he was honored and known to be a man of authority. You didn't just walk up to the teachers and the priests. You, you didn't just approach them. That They had to ask for you to come. Do you see that as, that as much as we see in this passage about our desiring Jesus, much more needs to be said about Jesus desiring us. Because if Bartimaeus was going to be healed, it was only after he was going to be found. Guys, it's the same way with us. Yes, cry out to the Lord. Yes, wail and lament and gather the people together. Make your requests known to him. Bring your petitions to him. Do it graciously, theologically, passionately. Long for him. Desire as Paul did to know him. But understand that the responsibility for your restoration and redemption rests with Jesus. That if you're going to be healed, it's not going to be because you found him. It's going to be because he found you. It's going to be because you were the one sheep that left the 99. And he cared enough about the one to leave all of the rest of them behind to go and find you. 
Don't miss that here. Guys, and I'll tell you this, this is good news. This is good news even in this text, I'm going to show you. This is good news to you today. (laughs) Because Jesus is the one who bears the responsibility to find him, to pursue him, and to heal him. Because that, because that responsibility rests in Christ alone, then Jesus heals Bartimaeus more deeply and more completely than even Bartimaeus longed for. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Where would Bartimaeus be? <laughs> where, where would we be? Think about this for just a moment. Where would any of us be if Jesus only came when we called? If Jesus only did what we asked? If Jesus only fixed the problems that we thought were broken? If Jesus only responded to our requests? Where would we be if Jesus left us with these responsibilities? We would be lost. We would be lost. Why? Because much like Bartimaeus, we're too concerned about our physical sight to ever petition Jesus and plead with him and cry out to him to solve the problem of our spiritual sight. We're always praying about ingrown toenails and backaches and not asking for forgiveness of sin. But when Jesus comes, he does more than Bartimaeus could ask. And friends, when Jesus comes to you and when he finds you and when he responds and redeems you, he does more than even you want him to do and even more than you've asked look at what happens jesus asks him well have you ever, why does jesus ask him didn't jesus know yes because he wants to make the point that his his request was insufficient and it was an incomplete request he says what do you want me to do for you bartimaeus told him teacher that i would receive my sight he meant his eyes physically and look at what he says go your way friend your faith Literally, your faith has saved you. That's literally, your faith has made you well. But it was not only physically. Yes, his sight came instantaneously, creatively, miraculously, all of those things we've seen. One moment, completely impaired vision. The next breath, completely perfect 2020 vision. I assume it was 2020 because Jesus gave it to him. Uh, is there a zero, zero? Is that better? Some of you doctors, I don't know. Whatever it was, Bartimaeus now had it. Because Jesus doesn't sort of guess at it. And then he went from not seeing to seeing better than all of us in this room in the blink of an eye. But it was not just his physical eyes that were open. Jesus said his faith saved him. And he opened the blinded eyes of his heart. How do we know? Because immediately he received his sight. If that was all that had happened, there would be a period there. And it says he followed Jesus on the road so that something changed. And in Luke chapter 18, where this is recorded, we know that he glorified God. This is a new experience for the guy. So what I want you to see is that Jesus came and did more. He did more than Bartimaeus even wanted him to do. Because the responsibility is Jesus's. If Jesus only responded when we called. If Jesus only did what we asked, we would never be saved. How do I know that? Because of Romans chapter 3. There is none who understands, is there? There is none who is righteous. There is none who seeks after God for all have fallen short. Well, certainly we know that there are some who are good, some who are righteous, and 
David and Paul, they seek after God. What, what does Romans chapter 3 mean? It means there is none who is good completely. There is none who is righteous completely. And there is none who seeks after God sufficiently. That even in our, it's not, we look at that and we think, oh, we have fallen short of the glory of God in the bad things we do. The point of that is in the bad and in the good things that we do, that even our longings for him are terribly tainted by sin and insufficient. That even our desires for Jesus and our requests for redemption and restoration, that they fall short of the glory of God. How do I know that? Well, not only because of this, but also because of Ephesians. Where Paul declares, now to him who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think or even ask. So that Jesus comes to us and does for us what not only we're not willing to ask, what we're not able to ask, what we can't even imagine for him to do. He comes and he restores and he touches in a more complete, in a more sufficient, in a more miraculous, creative way than can ever be done. Think about the whole narrative of this gospel. The whole point of the story is what? That the heavens have opened again. That God has broken into human history again. Not because we wanted him to, but because of the love that he had for us from eternity past. He brought Jesus. He made him to become a man. And through his obedience... And ultimately death, that man would bring life to men. So that I can tell you this morning, because of everything we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, friends, be of good cheer, because God has come for you. Because Jesus is here and he is calling you, take heart, get up, and come to him. Will you come, like Bartimaeus? Unable, insufficient, dead, but crying out, will you come to him? Jesus is here for you, and only Jesus can open the blind eyes of your heart. Would you just trust him? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're in the business of open, opening blinded eyes. But thank you that you're in the business of opening the eyes of blinded hearts. Lord, what a glorious truth this story brings to us this morning that you have come for us, that you long to redeem us, and that when we cry out to you, thankfully, you find us and do more for us than we could ever think or ask. So we proclaim this morning with Paul, now to you who can do these things, be glory and honor forever and ever. Lord, speak to us today. If there are those in this building that have never believed in you and trusted in you, I pray that you would change their heart, that they would cry out to you, that you would find them, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, thank you for grace and for Christ. In his holy and precious name we pray, amen.